Huh? Yeah, whenever you're ready. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Kevin Wolf. And I'm David Oro. And you're listening to The Embargo, the greatest PR podcast of all time. Damn straight. Whenever we get around to it. Which is usually every other week. We're going to talk about news, politics, sports, pop culture, business, whatever we want. All of it from the point of view of public relations and communication. We are all about punching stodgy PR in the face. That's right. So sit back, strap in, and let's get it on. Today is Thursday, December 9th, 2021, and we're back. 16 days away from Christmas and ending out the year strong. How you doing, Kevin Wolf? I'm doing all right. Like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. We recorded sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Our last recording was like before Thanksgiving, and uh, wow, so I think that was with, with the with your co-author Polly Trainer was the last time we oh, yeah. did it. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was fun. So since then, you and I got together in San Francisco for dinner. Yes. I don't know if you, I don't know like, if you actually, I saw you for the first time in like. How many umpteen years? It's been, no, it was a while. It was right before the pandemic. Oh, right. It was pre-pandemic. Also yeah. in San Francisco. But yeah, we went out, you know, we went out the other night. I thought we had a great time. Um, you know, I saw San Francisco for the first time in a while. It's looking kind of beat. Like the mission was a wreck, right? Did you get that same? That yeah, same I didn't think the mission was a wreck. It was no tender <laughs> one. But standard procedure but, for the for But the yeah, no, it looked all right, yeah, man. Yeah. It was it was nice to be out, right? I mean, San Francisco to be out. It's great to it go felt, out. They make they, they make you check IDs. Yeah, and yeah. all that. So check IDs, check vaccination cards. I felt safe. I don't, I don't think I'm sick right now. We, so yeah, we uh, <laughs> we ate well. You gave me a hard time about my about my diet, you know, or you know what I don't eat and what I do eat. Uh, everybody, I want to ask our guests. I, I want to ask our guests about uh, rainbow sprinkles. Yeah, we'll get back to that. Okay. Yeah, all right. Kevin, Kevin, you're the basically the chicken and beef guy. That's about it, dude. So that's I like, about. I like stuff, and I don't like rainbow sprinkles in my chicken or my beef, but I do like dessert. I do like ice cream, and I do like rainbow sprinkles. So we're gonna get, we're gonna get our guest take on that. Yeah. Well, speaking of the guest, yeah. uh, today we have a guest that is. A marketing person. I've known her for quite some time. Uh, her name is Lauren Volpe. I'll get into her bio in a second, but Lori, Lauren, welcome to the show. I don't even know where I got Lori yeah. from. Thanks yeah. for having me. It's it's great to be here, and I'm I'm excited. I'm your your post Thanksgiving guest, going right into Christmas. So everyone's getting their their jolly on, eating a lot, shopping a lot, uh, getting their boosters, seeing each other in person. So thanks for having me today, Lauren. Have you listened to this podcast before? Be honest. I have. Yeah. Really? So, okay. So, and, and you still obviously decided to come on. So that's a good sign, I guess. Uh, before we go to any, before we go any further, rainbow sprinkles, chocolate sprinkles, no sprinkles on your ice cream. So I would go with B and we, we didn't call them chocolate sprinkles. We call them Jimmy's when we yeah. were kids. So yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm all about uh, chocolate sprinkles. Okay. See, Dave, other people like sprinkles too. So. Take did that. you know that they were called Jimmy's too back then? In the yeah, day? of course. All sprinkles people know that, David. Everybody I am not a sprinkles that. person. Those things are stupid. <laughs> why, why ruin the whole thing, you know, with those things? So, all right. So, Lauren. Thanks for coming, Lauren. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So, Lauren and I met like over a decade ago at this company called Green Plum, which turned into Pivotal. Uh, and, you know, that was like several years working together. But at Pivotal, we sat right next to each other. Like literally at the bottom corner where the marketing department was, I had the corner. She was right next to me and uh, I was running comms and she was running digital marketing, I think at the time. And uh, along the way, she's moved up in the world and VP of marketing and several and then uh, at, at the, her most recent company or head of marketing. And uh, she went on to VMware and then she went off to London. She did all these things. Lauren, I got to tell you a story. I don't think I've told you this story yet. Yeah, let's hear a good story. So. Our previous boss, the female one that was there, that was hired after our male boss moved up in the world, uh, we were having a conversation and, you know, Pivotal was a, sort of this hybrid, well-funded startup of several cultures and it was a lot of mix and stuff. And that was a time when I think digital marketing started to mature, right? And so the tools around I think we were using Sprinkler at the time and we were using social and conversations around having uh, uh, 
whether social goes to marketing or whether it goes to PR, how to handle all that kind of stuff. And the female boss and I, Michelle Kerr, how you doing out there? Uh, says, you know, we we're trying to figure out what she was, what you were doing and how it was going to help the company. And Michelle said, she is the future mm. of marketing. <laughs> wow. And then I watched you take off and you just ran with it. And now you own the, the zone, right? So, you know, good for you. And I, I'm glad your career is taking off. You want to tell us a little bit about where you've been since you and I last hung out? Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll also say, I do fondly remember sitting next to David Oro in the back uh, southeastern corner of the office, kind of our backs were to Soma, uh, yeah, yeah. dirty Roma of Soma. Yeah. Uh, we were on Fifth and Howard, which is kind of a sketchy area next to Moscone um, in this kind of industrial building. Um, anyway, and I do have fond memories where, you know, uh, David had already had his three kids. I had just maybe had one baby, maybe was pregnant with my second. And so we were at different stages of our, our life and careers. And I, I just remember David on his um, treadmill desk. Oh, yeah. I did bring that in there. I forgot about that. Yeah. He had he had brought in a treadmill desk. Oh, wow. And he, yeah, yeah. And he wore like this. <laughs> he, he wore carpal, carpal tunnel wristband. <laughs> and his wife was always putting him on some like protein shake diet. <laughs> and I would, he would always asked me to keep him in check. Like, Laura, make sure like, you know, I stick to my shakes and I don't eat bad food because we're surrounded <laughs> by all this amazing food. I'm in the city. And so I felt bad because I was always having to call him on his, you know, <laughs> like, David, like, get on that treadmill. You got to burn off that lunch you just went to. <laughs> so Lauren, Dave and I also were cube mates or whatever. Like we sat next to each other. This was, uh, this was a while back. This oh my was- God, this is starting to sound personal. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, we're, some shots. we're moving on past the sprinkles on to some, onto some other cube stories here. But like we sat next to each other for like, I don't know what a couple of years day back in the uh, in the late nineties, and uh, but what stands out for me like Dave was like just hell loud, like the laugh was loud, the talk was loud, and we were like you know we're sitting six feet away, and this was back when PR was done you know a lot on the phone you know there was mm-hmm. not as much email, and I was just in my head I was like shut this guy up man like I gotta move <laughs> or he's gotta move or you know and uh, yeah that's what st- stands out for me so. Uh, you know, not quite the same experience, but, you know, maybe we were, you know, he was driving us equally crazy. Yeah, no. <laughs> and we're still friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> good, good, good memories, of course. Yeah, but yeah. Um, definitely, I, I do remember that, that period of where at the time in social media, you know, in like 2013, 15, it was all really about influencer marketing and, you know, like journalists and PR, um, uh, experts are out there trying to, to to have those face-to-face conversations but that was kind of when we started to be able to influence people on social media right we were trying to target folks who had like a really large following on twitter and were saying things that people actually listen to and and our market were developers and and you know we all know developers don't like being marketed to right and so how how could we somehow um influence the narrative or get these folks who were at the top of their game, these Java software developers, um, really to have an opinion about where they wanted to develop and how they want to develop their software on social media. And so I just remember that being like a really big effort and really hard and, tr- and just like trying to figure stuff out and before, you know, when it was trying to take off. And, and I think that's kind of like the theme of my marketing career in, in a nutshell of like, kind of thrown into the deep end and and working in new spaces around big data or data science or development or moving to the cloud um and now about um no code low code empowering folks to to be able to use their data and automation but this world is like you're constantly not the expert in the room but you're trying to figure it out and see if there's like stickiness in the market that people respond and also find a need and a product market fit for this this thing you're talking about um and so I'd say like the majority of my career has been like in the discomfort zone. You know, you ever see those like circles of like, you're super comfortable, you go into your job every day, you've got your meeting set, you know who you're gonna talk to, you know your dot, you know, what what's gonna come out of it? Like, I'd say like my career has been like the opposite. I'm constantly trying to put myself in this uh, environment where <laughs> I'm in another country working with different cultures and different customers and, and how they do business is 
drastically different in France than how you do business in Germany or, or in um, the Netherlands where Dutch people are very direct and super straightforward <laughs> to the point of, did I say something to piss you off or is that just how we're doing business here? Can you imagine like, I don't know how old you are, but like influencer marketing before the internet. So what, what, what was that even like? Like, are you, how, how far back do you go? Like, were you doing this stuff before we had all the tech tools that we have today? And if so, how did you, how did you navigate that? Yeah, I would say I'm, I'm probably like my, I'm about to be 40. So I would say I'm on that, we call the Oregon Trail generation. Uh, you know, growing up with like AOL on my chat rooms and knowing how to use a computer, but I didn't have a cell phone, you know, until I was like post-college. I'm basically the same age as Mark Zuckerberg. Um, so I would say like my only my very first job in 2004, did I do traditional marketing where you had to go like hand to hand stuff in collateral in a folder and talking to folks that like the National Retail Federation Conference in New York at the Jacob Javits Center and trying to build and understand the path there, which wasn't, it was all offline, right? There's no way to track the user journey. But I would say from there, it was all rooted in digital. So doing online education via webinars and trying to get as many folks online and engaged um, was a point of like someone actually being ready and converting to, to being like a customer. So I don't, I, to be honest, my, most of my career has been set in digital, um, for the benefit of like the demand gen and, you know, influencer marketing or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like it, it obviously existed, you know, for years and decades, you know, even in tech, right. Well before the internet and people just did it differently. And you're right. Like, I think the big thing that's changed is the, you know, obviously you can do it at scale where you couldn't do it before, but the ability to measure it and to track it is the fundamental difference, right? Mm -hmm. Because before it was like, you know, you're having drinks with somebody at a trade show. You're like you said, you know, you're like creating, a, you know, for us, like, you know, like building media kits, right? Putting together media kits and dropping them off in a press room and hoping people picked them up and hoping people looked at them, but we really had no idea. And to be honest, like PR, and we can talk about this because I think it's kind of an interesting point of comparison, but in PR, it's still kind of the same. I and mean, we don't, I know there are a lot of tools out there that measure and I, you know, Dave and I probably have different approaches to this, but I don't do a lot of measurement. My clients don't do a lot of measurement and it's a, you know, there's a lot of kind of like touchy feely nature to it, you know, awareness and, and that kind of thing, but you're doing a ton of measurement on the, on the demand gen, demand gen side. And it's, I, I think that's, I think it's different. It's, it's interesting. Like I, I, I'm kind of curious. I want to dig into that if we have time, like I want to understand how you're doing that and, what your expectations are, what your, you know, your client's expectations or your company's expectations are. I think that's a, you know, fundamental difference between demand gen and PR is the measurement piece. But I, you know, I just want to, you said something too, that struck me like, you know, stuffing stuff in envelopes. I, my first job in PR was a, a, an agency in Silicon Valley. And uh, this was 1995 and we were printing press releases and in our, in our building, in our office, and we were stuffing them in envelopes and mailing them out physically to reporters. So, you know, like news just had a completely different meaning, right? Like it was something something we were going to announce. We had, to, I mean, it just took days, literally, for to, to get that news, like the Pony Express, to get that news to a reporter. And it's just so drastically different. I mean, this is 20, whatever, 27 years ago almost, but it's like, a you know, a world apart. Right. It's interesting to, to orient yourself around like all the work it takes to write and draft and ship a news announcement and all the work that was done beforehand and just getting it in the envelope and sent and, and write the right mailing addresses and just hoping, crossing your fingers that it lands on the right people's desks and they read it. And somehow it's like a referral business, right? Like they hear about you, they come inbound by calling you or coming onto your website and filling out a form. But I think the, the big the big difference is for like DG marketing is, is like there's the pre-work, but then the real work comes in the into your point about measurement, right? Being able to understand, well, you sent it to, to X number of people, but what percentage actually opened it and clicked right. it and converted and then you know were were pulled in a step further, right? And so it becomes like a mathematical um, game of like, you have totally the math and, and it's like that process too, of like, it's nurturing, right? So it's not just like, did they open it? Did they come to the site? But it's like, what do you do with them after? And how do you kind of move them from point A to point B all the way to, you know, becoming a, a paying customer. And that's a whole aspect of, and you know, PR again, like we do a lot of that 
obviously, you know, like it's this, but it, it's different. It's not digital. I mean, it is in the sense that a lot of it's over email or text or whatever, but it's not nurturing in the traditional sense. And we can't, we don't really, we really don't measure that kind of stuff. I, I, I can say, I can't speak for David, but I can say that I, I don't spend a lot of time like, you know, these are the number of reporters that I sent to, and this is how many responded, and this is where they're at in the nurturing process or whatever, the story development process. And I, I just, we don't do that a lot, I think. And I, I know there are some companies and people that do, but I don't think that's common. I don't know, Dave, what do you think? Uh, so it depends on the maturity of the company. Uh, you know, if you're a startup or trying to do something, you're just trying to get as many as you can. There's obviously a target of people that you want to reach, probably reporters and specifics. But I think for more established companies, uh, I've seen matrices. I've built matrices, matrices of the people that we want to influence and nurture. Meaning, like I've done quadrants of folks. Here's a person at the Wall Street Journal. Here's a person at the New York Times. Do they cover us a lot? And is it positive? Then they're up and to the right. If they cover us very little and are negative, they're down to the left. I've created those things and have tried to move those bars across. Um, what it, what it, I would say the measurement is there. The specific analytics at times is definitely not as, as hard, I would say, as what I'm thinking that you can get out of digital marketing, right? And I think digital, but at the same time, I know exactly who I'm dealing with. I think a digital marketing still deals with personas. This person works at a $2 billion company. He's the IT manager. He's responsible for this much, but they don't know his name or something like that, right? Like I, they have it more in aggregate. I have it in very specifics and it's much smaller numbers. So you don't necessarily need to have all those metrics. Although I still do report metrics on, on number of hits and, and you know potential reach of readers. Right. I think the PR and, and articles and news work around a company, around a space, plays such an important part in demand gen beyond just the brand awareness piece, right? Beyond just saying like, okay, this company is, is legit. I If I'm a customer, I want to take them seriously before I make a purchase because um, I, I personally, as a buyer who owns a tech stack and has a giant budget, I spend a lot of time, particularly on startups, where, where if, I'm, if I'm making a big... Um, if I'm about to pull a trigger, I'll, I'll give an example. Mutiny is this web personalization tool. I think they have less than 25 employees, but they are disrupting the web personalization world. Like Adobe is a really hard tool to use. You have to have developers like basically create an, an experience that's very personalized to you as a, as a user. But this tiny company we bought, we took a risk on, and I, and I spent a lot of time on their website looking at who was investing in them, what kind of articles they were published and what they were doing. Um, as validation that like I could I could trust them and they're not going to go out of business or they're onto something really interesting because CMOs are, are part of their investment team and, and they wrote about that and had articles about it. So, you know, I do think there is a measurement piece in like, you know, the top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. You'll hear, hear DG folks say tofu, mofu, bofu. Um, that's, you know, really driving folks down through that journey. And I, I think um, PR and news is part of the entire journey. Um, to be honest, and can be measured. So, so how much? Uh, Wait, um, Kevin, before you go to your question, uh, tofu, top of the funnel. Yeah. Bottom of the funnel. What's the middle one? Mofu, middle of the funnel, right? So it's. Duh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not confused with mofo. But... Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking. Or yeah. tofu. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. So, I, so, do you guys get? Um, I, I consider this part of the digital marketing experience. Do you guys get uh, spam calls? I'm sure you do, right? Big All the time. Calls. So would you consider that digital marketing? No. No. Why not? Did Isn't the phone digital? No. <laughs> I mean, they're measured. Well, wait a sec. Like, before you dismiss it, like, I'm on a list just like any other list. People are reaching out to me in the same way. You know, it's just a different media, different channel. But you're being contacted. You're being pitched. Right. They're trying to sell you something, trying to bring you into the funnel, the tofu part of the funnel. Right. They're trying to guide you through that process. Why is why are why are those spam calls not? Why do you consider them? Why don't you consider them part of the digital marketing process? I don't consider it as part of the process because um, I consider it part of the omni channel experience where you've got to be everywhere where the buyer is. Right. And so which is why direct mail is not dead yet. 
right. and the importance of, of being where, where they are. So it could be whether I can catch you on the phone, I get your phone number to call you directly, I um, can retarget you. So you, Kevin, are on Amazon website and then you're reading an article in New York Times and you left your cart half empty, you get an ad served to you to say, hey, go finish that purchase um, because you've been cookied. Um, all the way to um, someone sending you to a personalized website all around who Kevin is and what kind of things you should buy. That's digital. Um, you know, all the way and to your point about who's calling you, it's it's the, the BDR, the inside sales team, um, trying to use messages um, and get you um, and get a hold of you, quite honestly, and get a meeting with you. So that's uh, omni-channel, you, sorry, you said omni-channel as opposed to digital, but digital right. is just part of the omni-channel marketing program, right? I mean, that's just a subset, correct? Yeah, digital. I mean, so much of DG is rooted around, we should be putting our message in every single channel, whether it's Twitter, right. Facebook, Instagram, the web, serving you ads on third-party sites, calling you, sending you direct mail. At some point, hopefully, if we know Kevin's likely to buy this product, we can get that right message to you in front of you and, and hope that you'll actually click and respond. Yeah. Because um, you can't count on just one channel. Right. So the reason I bring it up is because, you know, I, I get these calls, we get these calls all the time and they feel like, you know, I, I got one the other day and my, uh, one of my kids, my middle son was like, why do they make these calls? Like, why are we getting these calls all the time? And I'm like, they're just throwing stuff against the wall, right? Like they're just, it's spam. They're just throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks, which is, and I know that's what, I mean, we do it in PR. I'm sure you do it on the kind of more pure digital side, but what are your expectations? Like, I don't know, take a, a you know, I don't know, a mid-market company, a tech company, for example, like what are your expectations when you start throwing digital messages against the virtual wall, if you will, like what kind of numbers are you expecting? Like what kind of results do you expect to see typically? And, you know, like, because I gotta believe like if it's based on the, types of messages I get or the whether they're phone or you know over email or social or whatever like the percentages have to be pretty low right like I just can't imagine most of this stuff works am, am I is that fair or what what do you think yeah I mean I guess it depends what what type of company it is that's that's trying this tactic I'm, um you know the startup I was just at we were only targeting a very specific subset of accounts and very specific job titles with a certain budget that we right. knew had made a previous purchase that that was actually in our problem space. So there was a lot of, but your point about like, they're not just, they're, there's something digital behind that, right? Like someone's going onto your LinkedIn profile and pegging you as someone who would fit into, into that buyer space and, and could potentially buy the product. Um, so hopefully they've done that research and understand um, that you are in that right target audience before they make that phone call. Yep. Um, and and that they're actually meeting you where your challenge is and, and actually understanding your problem as opposed to just like trying to sell you something. So your percentages can go way up, obviously, when you narrow that target focus, you know, I mean, that, and that makes sense, right, Dave? Like, that's the same thing that we do. Like, people will ask us, like, you know, clients will say, hey, we want to get press coverage and, you know, and we can come back to them and say, well, these are the people that are most likely to cover you. And these are the outlets that we should be targeting. And these are the stories we should be pitching them. And so we can do that you know, that targeting ourselves on the PR side, I guess, in the same way the demand gen folks are doing it. I, I'd be curious, like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's apples to apples, but like, what do you think the, what do you think your success rate is for a typical campaign relative to what PR does or what PR can do? Or is it not even, does it not even make sense? I, th I think it's a totally different sort of measurement, right? And I think, you know, Lauren, I think there's probably standard numbers for response rates on campaigns, right? And I do believe it's single digits. Uh, I mean, yeah. unless it's really, really targeted and you kill it, right? And get maybe into the teens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 the percentage goes down each step of the way, right? So if we were contacting, you know, 400 companies that we knew were in our space of, of could actually buy the product, you know, I'd say of those 400 companies, we're hoping for 15% of them will actually respond. And of that 15%, how many will convert into an MQL? It goes a little bit lower. But then of those that are actually ready to talk to sales, we're hoping that 
30% of those will turn into a stage two opportunity. And if they get that first meeting, then 50% of those will turn into, you know, willing to get a demo. So while the numbers get smaller, the percentage of conversion actually does get higher because they're coming further and further down, doing their exploration, their research, gathering information and getting educated to say, oh, actually, this is something that I, I could consider myself, you know, buying and looking into and comparing um, next to a competitor. But the numbers are, are quite small, but um, fortunately, there's a lot of buyers out there and a lot of companies to target and, and not just one job title. There's mul multiple people you could go after in, inside of an organization. So, I think. Yeah, Lauren, we, we had a guest on a couple of weeks back, Sam Whitmore, uh, and we were talking about Tech Target. Uh, Tech Target, the publishing house, they do search mm -hmm. database, search AWS, search whatever. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was started by, and I didn't know this, and I probably should have known it, started by uh, two EMC guys. Remember, remember EMC, yeah. Lauren? Yeah. yeah. So, and uh, they, they saw that how IT buyers were making decisions. And what he, what, what Sam said was, you know, they'll get there, they'll get some brand recognition, but in the end, it is company content. So if they're going to buy between, I don't know, Oracle and SAP, they're going to look at their Oracle's content and SAP's content, either a white paper or something before actually making their decision. These are IT buyers. Mm -hmm. Were you also responsible for some of that content stuff and putting that demand and yeah. I, I guess really just that yeah. marketing in front of them? So. Yeah, I mean, what I was saying is part of the omni-channel experience and doing things like syndicating content on Tech Target and, and doing this thing called Priority Engine in Tech Target, which is here are all the potential buyers who are actively looking for your solution inside tech target there's a whole database of those folks that you could readily get their phone numbers and emails and start to nurture and call them like kevin experience because they're actively or passively buying and doing research on it so it's definitely one of the, the tools in the toolkit because i'd say there isn't like one thing that's a sure deal right you kind of have to be doing all of them and doing all of them with very specific messages um, depending on who you are and what stage of the buying cycle you are, or else you're just going to, to your point, throwing spaghetti at a wall and hoping something that sticks, right? So what, what was that tool you used at Tech Target? There's there's Priority Engine. Was okay, the one. so I don't, you don't need to explain it. I Kevin and I never see that side of the house, right? We are dealing with all, we know the editors up and down and all the publications and all the things that they're written about. And uh, it, it's fascinating to see that because at least what I think I hear you saying is that's a that's a great tool, right? Tech Target is, is a valuable tool for PR as well as for a marketer, particularly in tech. Yeah, right. And and it's interesting because PR, I would say, is there before someone gets to, to Tech Target, right? Like right. it's your role, and it's so important for you to seed the company or the announcement or the product release or funding, whatever it is that you're putting out there so that people even pay attention to your company in the first place. Like they have to actually know who you are before they're actually in tech target, looking at your white paper and your website. If they never heard of you before and don't have that validation from a news article or from an analyst. It's going to be really hard to get in front of, of folks, right? Without any brand recognition. Yeah. That's why Kevin and I are here. So <laughs> yeah, so I actually have a related question. So um, you mentioned, you know, the, we talked about the content and the messaging, and, and I know that a lot of the identification of targets is um, is data based and is probably machine learning based these days, right? And there's a million tools out there that help you kind of refine your target market, find potential buyers, find potential prospects, and you know, we still do a lot of that stuff manually. I mean, I tell people all the time, like the reporters and editors are changing all the time. These publications don't have people on staff. We're literally, I feel like we're boiling the ocean a lot of times. Like, I don't know where a reporter might be. Like it could be a freelancer in Helsinki one day and the next day it's a freelancer in, you know, um, in Cleveland. Like, I mean, it's really hard to find these people, but once we find them, you know, uh, the content we send them, the pitches we send them, the messages, all the material we send them, we send them is stuff that we craft, some you know, stuff that we develop either on our own or with the help of the companies we're, we're working for. But what I wanted to ask you, Lauren, is how much, if any, of the content that you and your team create is machine developed today? And how much of it do you think will be going forward? Um, does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like automated, like, you know, content creation, automated, um, messaging, you know, where, where 
you guys or human beings are actually not even involved in the process of creating those messages or that content. It's just manufactured. I would say 0% right now is, is, is automated. Hmm. Um, but I will share, you know, I use something like Google trends, which is a free tool anyone can go to. And I'm trying to figure out our SEO strategy, right? Where are we going to put all of our eggs in, in emerging trends that have nothing to do with the company, but people are talking about, and you can see the growth over time. You can see bubbles in regions. You can see related topics, but I'll, I definitely use something like, uh, Google, um, to figure out what people are talking about and what's what's newsworthy to them. Maybe think about, should we invest in an SEO strategy and build a whole blog series? Um, yeah. What about creating the content itself? Like, do you anticipate, I mean, I, we actually do see it on the PR side, on the media side, because I can tell you that there are publications yeah, so, out there where it's computer generated articles. Like, yeah, you, so, uh, you know now, but it's getting better. And over yeah. time, there's a question of like, how much of that, content i mean do we need actual reporters and editors or for that matter pr people and i'm just wondering if that same thing is happening i thought i i thought i had heard that it was happening on the demand gen side but i guess i don't really know i still believe content is king and and you need um to have really brilliant writers if anything i i'd say we that was one of the first hires i made when i when i joined the marketing team was getting someone who all they did was just do digital ads and and copywriting in addition to the three people that were just sitting there doing creating and crafting content all day long. So I'd say the PR like strategy and like having comms in-house versus hiring PR agency has evolved and, and emerging with what is the utility and need and, and timing of when you need an agency. But I, I believe writing is super important. And, yeah. And I don't think it could be automated, right? People need words like, uh, I don't think people are going to stop reading, right? Yeah. Do you think we'll get into this place where all they do is just watch televised? Like my kids. Yeah. 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 Right. So Kevin, I know where you're going with this because I've seen that automated news writing. So right now, a lot of that automation is actually in earnings reports. So a company does earnings and it'll just spit something out basically from a press release, how much you earn per share. And it's pretty usually uh, quick breaking news. I've seen a few of those automations try to write a story with a little bit more color and background and insight. They suck. <laughs> they, they totally suck. Today, suck. Yeah, right? yeah. They say, they, but they might move but in the I, future, I but I can't, I can't imagine that. Um, of course, you know, who knows? Yeah. Uh, but I can't imagine it. There's always going to be need for human writing because I, 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 I'm not sure computing can get into the empathy part of this. So, um, mm. We got to keep moving here. So, but before we uh, jump in, I think that was a great discussion, Lauren. I want to talk to you. You've been in the job market. Kevin and I have been in this, you know, running our own little businesses and consultancies here for a little bit. What are you seeing out there in the marketplace? What's it look like? Uh, you want to characterize it in any way? And what are people looking for? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of money. <laughs> There's a lot of companies that are getting funded, like crazy amounts of these, you know, series B, series C fundraising, just blowing up. I, I'm in the job market. I think it's, it, it is uh, more than ever. You guys are seeing this trend about the great resignation folks deciding to leave, you know, they've sat out on the sidelines getting taken care of through COVID. And now they're starting to pull back and really think about like long-term, what do they want to do in their lives? And so companies are having a hard time retaining talent. And then there's this whole round of startups and high accelerator, high growth companies that are really needing to like push the, you know, pedal to the metal on their go to market. And so there's huge demand for um, growth marketers and for heavy product marketers um, and, and people on the other side who are getting able to choose and figure out like, well, what is it that I want to do and can ask for really big paychecks and great equity packages and be super picky. So in, you know, the almost 20 years I've been in my career doing this, I've never seen the job market this bananas at this moment in time. And so, it's a pandemic and the economy is like as fragile as can be, but that VC money just keeps pouring into these startups. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I mean, I'm not an economist and I really don't, you know, claim to understand like the dynamic behind why all this money keeps coming. And I just kind of like hope it, I hope it does. And it, and it has for, you know, two and a half decades that I've been in this business, but it is remarkable, right? To your point, like it, it does. I mean, we see the same thing, Dave, right? Like, I mean, there's, I, I you know, um, I'm based in Silicon Valley, but I, I don't think it would matter. Like there, there's, there's tech companies everywhere. They all seem to have 
ample cash to spend on marketing. And you're, to your point, I mean, they're all looking for people who can who can do this job. And it does seem like there are more job openings than there are people to fill them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the pandemic did, I mean, I'm sure you've discussed this before on the show, but what the pandemic did was it caused this tidal wave of innovation and this push for companies to really digitize and push forward a lot of initiatives that maybe they had put in the backlog, but had to do right around networking and automation and um, making things accessible in the cloud versus on-prem. So there's all these companies who, who built that, you know, during the pandemic and, and a bunch of buyers who were like, crap, I've got to pull the trigger. I can't sit on my heels on this purchase any longer. So um, there's this, you know, a lot of pressure on the market to, to get people who've, who've done this in the past, right? Been a part of those crazy rides where they were a part of companies that went from, you know, 10 million ARR to 100 and 500 million ARR. And so that's really what they're looking for is people who've done it before. And so there's only, there's a finite number of people who've done that. Um, and so it's, it's an exciting time, I think, to be a marketer and in this world and even in PR, right? There's tons of companies going public. I've got my, I, I've got to keep it in the, in the nest, but I've got a friend right now in New York at Times Square, you know, about to push the button and they're going public this week. Super excited for them. I had no idea it happened this quickly, but things are getting accelerated right now. Yeah. And that, that's always fun to be in New York and go public. So, yeah. all right. Lauren, before we go into our game time, which yep. is the part we get to embarrass ourselves a little bit, anything you want to add on your experiences, your life, what you're seeing out there in the world or anything you'd like to say? Oh, wait, what about Chief? Are they going to tell us about Chief? Oh, she yeah. could do that too if she wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Chief is, so if you all haven't heard about this amazing organization called Chief, I, I just became a member um, in October. It's a, you know, a members only uh, kind of community for executive females VP level or, or above. And so there's about 6,000 women who are a part of this organization that was started by two females in New York back in 2019. Um, and what's really cool about it is, is like, if you think about, um, you know, all of us in our, our careers, we've gone up in the world, managed big teams, are mentoring and coaching individuals, and we're constantly having to expend all of our time helping managers get to directors, directors to VPs, but then on our own, it's like, well, what the hell have we done to become really high integrity, powerful leaders? Um, and you just don't have that much time to do it, or maybe an environment as a female where you're maybe the only female in the executive team to say, hey, who's going to mentor me? Who's going to coach me, right? Like I, I, need, I need to get better too, or stay at the top of my game. Um, so what's really powerful about Chief is you have access to these 6,000 other women where it's, a very open, honest, but confidential environment to ask questions about, hey, I want to learn about crypto. What, what, you know, let's have a meet up and talk about it. Or I'm negotiating my contract and they're offering me X, Y, and Z. Is this right for, for being you know, a lawyer in New York City? So these women have actually, we have this open multi-document, I shouldn't, you know, in sharing with you all, where we're all publishing our salaries in our markets which is just huge, right? So if I could say, what what should a marketer make in San Francisco versus a marketer make in Chicago? These women are openly giving and sharing information as resources because we all want to push each other up and support each other in this world of, of being you know, successful females, whether you're trying to get on a board or first time being a C-level executive or new VP. Um, it's, a, it's a great support system and you have access to women like Nakia Wright, the CEO of Chicago Times or Gwyneth Paltrow on how she went from being an actress to doing goop. Um, Whoopi Goldberg was on last night talking about, you know, how to be in the power seat. So it's, it's pretty fun. And, you know, I think when the pandemic's over, there's clubhouses that you can go and, and network with these women as well. Awesome. That, that, that sounds cool. I don't know about the Gwyneth Paltrow part, but that's cool. <laughs> you don't shop on Goop, Dave? No, I don't shop on, I don't shop on Gwyneth anything, okay? Like, <laughs> there's many other uh, Hollywood celebrities I can deal with, but not her, so... <laughs> Uh, I personally, I don't get enough Gwyneth Paltrow in my life. I, she's, uh, I enjoy her her acting. So I, yeah. I don't shop on Goop, but I do like her. <laughs> She's got some crazy sex documentary on Netflix if you need a little more Gwyneth in your life. Oh, yeah. Well, I was no. just thinking like the talented Mr. Ripley is one of my uh, one of my, one of my go-to movies. I thought she was great. And then what's the one, uh, is it Shallow How with Jack Black? You know that one? Oh, yeah, where she's yeah. obese. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like he he sees her, you know, he sees her one way and she's another, mm -hmm. but uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, Chief sounds great. That's uh, that's very cool. People should check it out. All right, it's game time. 
Kevin, you've got you 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 run this this section, dude. Yeah, so let, know, let's man. play. It's a lot of pressure, man. Like for for a year, I've been trying to. I have to reinvent Monopoly or something like that. Yeah. So, okay. Um, came up with a couple of uh, would-be games for, I don't know if you can call them games, actually. They're just kind of like fun stuff for us to talk about. But I found this list of uh, the most overused press release words of 2021, nice. according to uh, the good folks over at Cision. And uh, I don't know. I mean, like I was looking at this list and I was like, yeah, I probably, you know, I'm guilty of using this one, this one, this one. And I wondered, you know, we could have this conversation with Lauren because I imagine in the work you do, you, you know, you're creating content all the time, pushing it out. She's reading and writing copy all the time, right? And I know she's editing something out. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's all jargon, right? But I, I think it's- But she, really, she is leading edge. Yeah, right. You know, what I mean? like, <laughs> you know it's, it's the kind of thing where like, you probably do it. We probably do it without thinking about it very much these days. But, you know, if you go back and read stuff that you've written or, you know, you're like, God, that just like, that just sounds so shitty, right? Like that's, like, <laughs> I really wish I hadn't said that or like, it, it, you don't need it most of the time. So anyway, so I thought I'd read a few of these words and you can tell me if you're like guilty or not guilty of using some of these words in a, uh, in a release or a pitch or, uh, or, or whatever. Okay. Let's okay. do it. All right. So again, this is uh, according to Cision's 2021 State of the Media Survey, which I think, Dave, we've talked about on this show before. Uh, the most commonly used, um, or I should say overused press release word of 2021 was best of breed. Have you used best of breed in a pitch that you've made in the last 12 months? Not guilty. Not guilty. Really? How about you, Dave? confessions buddy uh i don't think so honestly like best of breed to me went away a while back oh, yeah. and um i i don't know you know what you know why it's because i've been dealing with startups and clients that only have one thing so there is no breed they are the one solution there are no competitors out there so why I'm would there the be PR a breed? person that's bullshit too <laughs> um, all right so I, I i have also not used best of breed um but I've, I have in the past, but uh, it just sounds so, you know, empty. Like, I don't even, you know, yeah, it's a shitty one. It's, it's but I'm not, it's, I guess it's disappointing to see that it's still used. Where, where, where is best of breed actually used outside of a press release? No. In a dog not. show, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I guess, I, I guess if you're, you know, yeah, I guess. The National the Canine Canine Association. like. Yeah, you're in a class of software products, and you think they, they might use them in horses, horse races. Software product. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. A, it's an yeah. animal term. Not I mean, specifically, yeah, but yeah, you can have a breed of software products too, I suppose. Right? I've not yeah. used best of breed, but I have used world's best a number of times. All right, well, guess what, Lauren? That's number two on the list. Is world's best? <laughs> it's basically the same thing. World's yeah. best, world. Best. I mean, that that one's super empty. Too, right like if you use world class first of all you better hyphenate because i'm a stick with the grammar but uh beyond that like i mean what does that even mean like i mean that's just super shady if i saw if i, got I, I think i got a coffee mug that says world's think. best dad so it means something <laughs> uh okay so that's second on the list and lauren's obviously guilty she's uh she's out of herself on that one the next one um, next couple are, I, I think I, I've probably used at some point, maybe not the third one, but the fourth one, unprecedented and unique. Have you said that you're, you're uh, like yeah, that? I'm guilty of that. Uh, definitely unique, unprecedented. Right, unique sure. That's an, it's another throw. Unprecedented is a very strong word. It should be sure reserved for unprecedented times, you know, like, like these. Yes, exactly. Right. How about you, Lauren? Uh, unique for sure, especially, you know, less on, on writing in press releases, but more when I'm recruiting, I just spend a lot of my, my time and day recruiting. And when you describe your culture and what it's like to work here, everyone mm -hmm. thinks that they're a snowflake, right? Like we're really unique, you know, <laughs> we're really different from everyone else. <laughs> Be careful. Cause to me, like, these are all words that like I use or have used, but if they were used against me or to me, I would cringe. I think I'd be like, bullshit. You're not unique. Bullshit. It's not unprecedented. So watch out. Here's, I'll just throw a few more at you rather than go through this list, which is fairly extensive, but cutting edge is next on the list. Then thrilled and exciting. 
Be careful. Oh, yeah. Quotes. Never say yeah, yeah. you're thrilled or you're excited uh, because nobody's excited. As the easiest as place to put thrilled in, and I might have been guilty of this, um, is in a press release quote of, we're thrilled to hire Lauren Volpe to our team and to head up marketing. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It, it, it's like, how many times can you be thrilled? Like, it just loses its meaning. It loses meaning, loses yeah. its meaning at some point, right? De definitely guilty. We were like named in one of San Francisco's like business insiders, like best places to work. And our CEO quote had him say he was thrilled to be on. Right. Absolutely, why wouldn't yeah. it be? Right? Guilty. Yeah. Uh, last couple for you, uh, leading. Everybody is leading. Yes. Right? That's one that- Leading, guilty. Is, right? yeah. Guilty for sure. And then yeah. disruptive slash disruption, award-winning, innovative, ROI, I mean, you know, oh, 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 hey, hey. guilty, guilty, Are, guilty, guilty. Okay. All right. How many, how many people uh, on LinkedIn profiles say they're award winning or bios? Oh, award winning. I actually think if someone were to put that they were an award winning something like in their, I would take a second look at them. Like they actually got an award for their job. I can tell you as the, someone who has managed awards programs for companies before, there's a lot of bullshit awards out there that anyone can win. I won an award once I was like the, uh, the coach of the year in my kids little league, but I don't think that's going to uh, get me. So back. I've actually won legit PR awards. I've been on teams that have won like, you know, I would say recognized, not these like, you know, Stevie Awards or like these uh, Edison Awards that you pay 500 bucks and you get the award. Hmm. But like, you know, you, you still have to pay. Yeah. On the team that was that, PR Week. boy. Yeah, yeah, a couple of, I got like two or three of those on teams nice. and projects that we've done. Well, maybe you can bring your trophies to our next uh, podcast. Yeah, I will, dude. I'll show them. Yeah. So, oh, sorry, go ahead. So what's your advice on on not using these overused words in press releases? Like what yeah, would be so the alternative? I'll tell you what, like um, one of the, um, a woman I used to work for my first job, she was uh, she was in charge of like copy editing. <clears throat> Rose Ufinger, she passed away. Uh, she had cancer sadly, uh, this was a while ago, but she was terrific. She used to copy uh, edit all of our stuff. And what she told us um, all the time was omit needless words. Well, that's a strunk and white uh, thing on the elements of style. That's oh, yeah, yeah strunk I mean, and white just, came up with that. with me for, you know, 20 something years. Like you don't need these words. They're not yeah. necessary. When right. you're trying to make a point about something, um, fewer, the, fewer words, the better. Yep. Stick to the facts. Be clear and concise in your explanation. Um, and it stands the best chance for people to pay attention and, and believe it. So I've stuck with that. Omit needless words. Yeah, that, that that is from the elements of style by Strunk and White, uh, classic book and run. Rose Ufinger, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Well, she took uh, that too, and okay. I say it to my kids as well. Omit needless words when I'm editing their schoolwork. So exactly. sage advice. Yeah, I think so. Um, all right. So the other quote unquote game is is really just like uh, I called it. Like life is too short to work with assholes. Um, you know, I, I had an experience this week that it, it kind of just ruined my week, to be honest with you. And uh, well, we're here for you, Kevin. Thanks. You're man. near the end of the week. Weekend's on its way. Yeah, we're here I to support appreciate you. that. I mean, we've all had these things, but like, you know, this was this was really frustrating. Um, it was a new client, and they just handled a PR process so poorly, and they were so insulting and dismissive, and um, and just rude and insensitive of kind of the work that I do and the time that I spend and but more than that like of the reporter's time it was just a disaster from my perspective actually I ended up ended up firing the uh the client um I told him yesterday I can't work with people like that I, I just and it's you know I hate to shoot myself in the foot and I've I'm probably I've, I've done it a bunch over the years because I just I don't know maybe I'm getting old I, I just don't have the patience for it anymore and I just can't you know the do I need the work? Do I need the money? Sure. But like, I just, I, I don't, I just can't do it anymore. So I was just wondering if you guys have had similar experiences, anything you wanted to share where it was like, I, I just, life's too short to deal with people like this. You know, I'd rather just cut bait and move on. Yeah, I'll share one. But I'd also like to say, Kevin, that's a huge sign of, of a turning point in your career as well, right? A point of success where you can choose and, and you, who you want to work with and you get to say no, right? I think it's a privilege to be in that position. 
Uh, my kids might not be able to eat next month. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess you're right. I, I, I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great story, right? A great lesson to be able to to uh, work with people you want to work with and not take the BS. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually on a bit of a sabbatical right now, so I can share a story of my of a previous organization I was working with where um, we were really trying to get our name out there and put our stake in the ground of, of being like a, a legit organization. And we spent a heap load of money to get someone very famous on stage with us um, in New York City and former president um, spending, you know what it's like to pay these speaker fees for certain for certain folks. And, and this is a someone who costs, you know, seven figures. And when they asked why I wasn't all in and getting this whole thing planned, I said, look, like, do we really want to put our brand next to this person? This There's Epstein is in the news. There's an impeachment show out about this person. And, and I just think that we could spend that money on any number of other speakers that are more relatable to the industry we're in. And the person responded to me, oh, this is personal for you. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is personal for me. Like, to me, like, that's, you know, I, I, I think I'd be like, yeah, I mean, that's, it is. Like, I don't want to have my name on something like this. I don't want to be personally connected to that person, you know. Well, you know, you can always and go back is, and be like, no, you're protecting you, right? You're protecting the brand, right? You know, and like you don't want to be controversial. Yeah. That person you hired, Lauren, was. Did they get oh. on stage? Who was uh, it? The, it was Bill Clinton. Oh, Bill Clinton. Yeah, seven figures, right? And yeah. Could be controversial in some ways and others. For and sure. That. Yeah. I, I think if, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I think it's important to take a stand on stuff like this yeah. when it matters to you. And you're right, like Warren, like sometimes you can't. I think it depends on the stage of, of your career in a lot of ways, or obviously the circumstances matter a, a ton, but I, I just, I personally, like, I just can't, um, I just can't do it anymore. I just can't just accept like, you know, people who are mistreating other people and then just kind of- And you shouldn't, Kevin, I mean, you know, just. Move on, right? There's a, as Lauren just said, there's so much work out there right now. Money yeah. thrown everywhere. We just gotta get scraps of it along the way. I'm looking for got, nice, nice people, nice clients. Honestly, I'll take a client that is um, going to be a challenge in terms of getting their story out there if the people are worth it. Because there's good people. Yeah, you got to work with good people. Yep. So I got a story. Person wasn't really an a hole. I kind of liked the guy. I think he was a good person. He just never paid on time, ever. And um, like the, the the situation ended when I was living in the city at the time. It was one of my first clients. Did my work and I needed that money. <laughs> I was just getting started. It was just three weeks, two weeks, three weeks. Finally, I just went down to their office in Soma, walked in, was like, yo, write me a check. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, because it was emails. Yeah, we'll pay it. We'll pay it. We'll pay it. And finally, I walked in there, turned the corner where his office is. And I don't know, there was a bunch of naked women on his screen, I guess. I don't know what it was. Mm. The screen went away, wrote me a check, and I left the door. So it made him double the size of that check. Yeah. Well, what's crazy is about a decade later, you know, I'm up here in Napa, and I somebody walks up to me, and I was looking at him, really, he looked familiar. And then he walked up to me, he's all, you David Oro? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, he's like, I'm not going to call him out. But he's like, hey, this is me from the client that didn't pay. And I'm like, wow, dude, you're here too, huh? And it was like a mutual friends party. And wow. we caught up. We kept it professional. I didn't bring up the didn't pay. People in companies that don't pay, I think that that's about the that's about the worst. He paid. It just took a while. But it doesn't matter. Like <laughs> my, my grandfather, who, who just turned 100, has an expression. He says, wow. uh, your, your, your mother may have carried you for nine months, but I don't intend to. And I just like, I don't understand why anybody would think it's okay to pay late. Like you can't pay your mortgage late. You can't pay your credit card bills. late. I mean, you're going to get, there's a consequence to this stuff, but I don't know. I mean, I see it all the time in startup land. Like there are plenty of companies out there that just feel like it's okay. Like we'll just pay you when it's convenient for us. We'll just pay you when we get around to it. We're going to, you know, drag this out as long as we can. I, I, I mean, that's another one where I just, I'm like, I'm out. If you can't, yeah. if you can't yeah. understand why I need to get paid on time, we can't work together. Yeah. All right, Lauren, we got one more game, and it's just for you. Okay, it's called Rep Fire and Refer. We do it every week, every time. 
you get to represent somebody, you get to fire somebody, and you get to refer them. Okay. Refer them from either, you know, however you want to do it. I thought okay. of three things because, you know, I think you told me a story. You didn't share it here, but you told me a story about your last employer. And it was about working from home, hybrid work, or back in the office. So your rep fire refer is work from home, hybrid, back in the office. What are okay. you doing here? Uh, I would say my, my rep is hybrid. Back in the office is fire and work from home is refer. All right. So you want that hybrid world world. Yeah. Yes. I had someone who was in the office from in April, starting as early as April of this year, pand pandemic and into Delta five days a week. Uh, I am all for the hybrid model. I love actually, I think it's a great combination, especially when you're hiring and wanting to collaborate in person, be in the office a few days a week, get on that whiteboard, go out to lunch chat you know get to know each other build a relationship that's not on zoom but being able to have a couple days a week where you can just grind and, and do your work and not be in meetings and and write content and and strategize is i think is is really the healthy balance yeah somebody posted something the other day that i tweeted out myself it was like the office is the new offsite, and i really like that like you do the majority of your work at home and maybe go to the office to get together one once or twice a year <laughs> or a quarter you're like every you know two days a week i'm like yeah we'll get there once a quarter kind of thing to to do stuff um, but you know i tell you man like i'm a guy who's been working at home for uh for 20 years i haven't been to an office in 20 years on a regular basis and and that works for me and i love it but i do think over the last couple of years I, I feel like i've noticed maybe not um i don't know if i've noticed it in myself necessarily but like i feel like it does I think I noticed it with my kids. I think it, it impedes learning, not being in a room physically with people who are talking to you and teaching you and you're learning from. I think it stands in the way of, of uh, you know, of development. So I think like for a person who's been in business for a long time, I think you can make it work. And I think the hybrid model makes sense. But I think if you're just starting out in your profession or if you're in school or, you know, I think you need to be there as yeah. much as possible. I think it's too easy. But you got, you got, you got, you got you got to earn your way back into the to to be able to work at home basically Wait, i mean it's you got to earn it but you your the purpose is to like actually you know um develop and learn right. something and build connections and right. i just don't think you can do that online i mean i know you can but it's not the same right agree i the the especially in early stage in your career like our our business development team right these are folks one or two years out of college you learn by being sitting in a room in you know that that pit hearing each other make those cold calls and then exchanging notes and and you and you have to model yourself after your your team or people who are doing really well you can't get that if you're at home sitting in there you know smiling and dialing right so to your point i think when you're in that learning phase being in person you can get up you can ramp up way faster um than over zoom and, and we're naturally social beings right we're not meant to be stuck in our office all day by ourselves exactly. um, and by right. the way the metaverse isn't going to cut it either <laughs> that's, that's not going to work for me. Like I can't, I don't want to hang out with, you know, I Dave, we had fun in the city the other day. Like, I don't want to do that in some alternate universe, you know, No, dude. <laughs> like I want to, I want to walk down the streets of San Francisco, you know, not and touch my feet on that pavement. Like I want to, it's just different, you know, yeah. it matters. I've learned that. I think that's something that's really stuck to me these last couple of yeah. years. Yeah. Well, Lauren, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for giving us yeah. your time and insight mostly um and sharing i'm a little embarrassed about the stories you guys all shared about me but hey you're all still here with me all good friends yeah and yeah. thank you for having a marketing person on on a on a comm show i appreciate it. it was fun yeah no i mean like we you know we go hand in hand right really i mean uh those things need to come together and when they when they work together well um, marketing out of an organization communications out of an organization really sinks yeah all right lauren one last thing you get to play the uh you get to choose the song as our outro because we have a song every uh, week. And we also have a playlist on Spotify called The Embargo with all our songs Great. that we've ever played on this show. Cool. So what's your song? Yeah. Ready? I'm going old school with Hey Mr. DJ um, by John Love A. Love um, it's a good feel song. I have to say, you know, as uh, someone, all of us have been in the pandemic forever back when there was a the what the Spanish flu, everyone was out partying. It's like the roaring 20s all over again. I was at this wild, 
uh, Housewives of Marin party last week with 47-year-old women, and I'm telling you, they got so wild and danced with the <laughs> Some NSFW uh, gifts were exchanged <laughs> at the White Elephant, and I'm just telling you, this is just this era of, like, you just want to let loose, have a good time, dance, you know, try not to take mm-hmm. things too seriously. So this is one of those feel-good tunes. All right. Good call. Thanks, Thanks for being here, Lauren. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, y'all. Thank you.